podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Welcome to Run With It, the show that brings you untapped business ideas from successful entrepreneurs. My name is Chris Justin, and I'm here with Ethan Janney. Ethan, how are you doing today? Wim Hof. Wim Hof. Are you aware of Wim Hof? I am aware of Wim Hof. I think that we recently got into Wim Hof breathing around the same time. I just took a cold shower before uh, before doing this call, which is pretty rough in Pittsburgh. (laughs) I've done a few cold showers recently, and I've been doing Wim Hof breathing every morning around 9.30 a.m. my time for a couple of weeks now. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. That is a good way to... uh, to get your energy going before meetings that you have, which is going to be the subject of our conversation here today with Tyler. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. I mean, notes, we're gonna... meetings, whatever. Okay. Yeah. M- meeting notes. Yeah. Tyler King <laughs> is the CEO founder of less annoying CRM. He is also the host of the startup to last podcast. And he is bringing us this idea to uh, help facilitate meeting notes. So Tyler, tell us about how you came up with this idea. Basically, think that generally speaking, there's a huge lack of tooling around meetings. It's an interesting space to me because everybody has meetings. Almost all the meetings are the same. Like, go to big companies, small companies, anywhere around the world, people go in a room and talk and then leave. Uh, it's pretty similar. But there are very few tools. There are a lot of tools leading up to it. How do you schedule the meeting and this and that? But when you're actually in the meeting, there's not a lot of tools to make the meeting go well. So, I, just in general, I think that's a good space. But so I was toying around with like, what would, what would be kind of a micro SaaS in that space? Like just a really quick, you know, you could build it in a weekend type of idea. And what occurred to me is taking meeting notes is a, I, I believe a pretty unsolved problem. And if you basically just got an email right before the meeting started and replied to the email and typed all your notes into it as the meeting was happened, happening and then hit send at the end, I thought that might be kind of the most lightweight possible way to get meeting notes logged, which a lot of people need to log meeting notes for various reasons, maybe to share them with the team, maybe for compliance reasons. But I think a lot of us can probably relate to like, you get to the end of the meeting and it didn't happen. So I just thought if you just get a reminder, reply to that reminder email with your notes, it's not revolutionary, but I think it's a nice little utility that could help a lot of people. I think that we need to do a little bit of selling on the idea of meeting notes as a whole. We probably have a, a lot of developers, engineers. I'm a former chemical engineer who uh, kind of snubs their nose at the idea of having to take meeting notes. That's for that's below your your value of time. Chris doesn't even want to have a meeting in the first place. Let's, yeah, let's I'm trying to just tax all my meetings. Where, I mean, <laughs> that's the next level of software. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you just uh, just mind meld and and avoid the need for meetings overall. But I've really come around to the idea that taking good meeting notes is a, and action steps is a really powerful way to direct a company, to, to exert influence on the way an organization works. And it's really simple to do. And it's not just, it, you're not just doing it for someone else. It's, uh, it's incredibly clarifying. It gives you a lot of time back. So there are a lot of productivity books out there that can talk more about this. Uh, but I do think that it's important to state up front that if you're not trying this, if you're not doing this, try it out. One thing that someone can do to try it out at five minutes of before the end of the meeting, 
you stop, you stop the conversation, you try and wrap it up. And then you say, who will do what by when? So something like that, that's a super easy way to get everyone on board and translate the, the actual discussion that you've had into action steps. Yeah. It's the same idea as taking notes. If you're like a student in a class, um, even if you never reference the notes later, there's some value to, uh, I think it helps with your memory. It helps with your engagement. You don't just sit there and zone out. If you're, if you're taking notes, it kind of forces you to be present. It reminds me of, uh, there's this, uh, a piece of advice to people who, when they go into college, uh, that's passed around. It's, it's kind of, it's probably apocryphal at this point for some productivity guru, but the best thing that you can do for your productivity, for your college career, after you attend a lecture, take one minute and write down your notes from memory and just doing that and that behavior in itself is worth probably you know, half an hour, 30 times the amount of studying that you could take at, that you could do after the fact if you attempted it the next day. So yeah, we can talk a lot about that in general productivity, but it, let's get into the, the nuts and bolts of how this would work. You mentioned making it super lightweight. Tell us more about that. Well, first of all, if I can just start with like a challenge that entrepreneurs face right now is there's almost too much software in the world and it's all fighting for the user's attention and I think a real challenge for new entrepreneurs, if you're, if you're in the software space, is am I really going to get my customer to open another tab um, and leave it open and use it all day, every day? You're, you're not just adding value, you're fighting for the user's attention. And so I'm really fascinated by the idea of building software that lives inside a different piece of software that the customer is already using. So when I say this is really lightweight, I mean, you don't really have to build a user interface. You just send an email to the person the email already has a good WYSIWYG editor. You can attach files. It's got a lot of the infrastructure already built, whether you're using Gmail or Outlook or whatever. You just send them an email, they send you a response back, and you, you process that response. So when I say it's lightweight, I, I mean, you're, I think there's like ideas for building this out into a much bigger product eventually. But the first MVP of it, I feel like it could be built with just a pretty simple backend thing that integrates with, I don't know, Mailgun or some kind of API to handle the email. I just want to bring, I want to, I want to lay some smack down here right up front. And I just want to say, okay, Tyler, you've got an incredible company with less annoying CRM, incredible name. I love that. It's kind of fun, but you've still managed to make millions of dollars a year with this, with this app. It's pretty incredible. Isn't this like the common developer mistake to make some sort of to-do list note-taking app? Isn't that just like, isn't that just like 101, you know, programmer mistake, make a note-taking to-do to to list app. What do you say to that? <laughs> uh, that's a fair point. I think, like, why is that a mistake? And I think the answer is what developers always do is they scratch their own itch. Um, they're making a to-do list app for developers. And it's not that that's a bad business. It's that we've all done, there's just too much of it. I'm taking this from the approach of like less annoying CRM serves very small businesses. And I'm not talking about startups. I'm talking about like insurance agents and stuff like that. The types of people that uh, probably a lot of the listeners of this podcast don't like think of as a business, right? They like, it's too boring almost. We sell to the boring businesses. This is an idea that I think appeals to boring businesses. So yes, it is in a somewhat competitive space, like you're saying, but I, I think there's a lot of opportunity building these tools that are kind of oversaturated, but building them for not tech startup people. I wonder if there's a way to make this without even, without even coding. I'm picturing a, a Zapier integration, and I don't know what the maximum plan is on, on Zapier, if that would allow you to 
uh, to send all the emails that you would need to send, but you could at least test an MVP with something like that and, and use just friends and family, uh, which is one of the recommendations you had and, and get some feedback before you actually hire a developer or build it yourself. Yeah, I'm not a no-code expert, although I'd, I'd say I'm like intermediate level no-coder and definitely most of the components of this, I, I think would be pretty straightforward to do. I, if you could build the whole thing, that, that'd be a great, like, I think that'd be pushing the boundaries of what no-code could do, but possibly within the boundaries, yeah. The key thing to me is to reduce the friction of it and because you're trying to change people's habits. Mm -hmm. And whenever you're trying to do that, of course, people are pressed for time and, and they're maybe stressed out about having to present to management or whatever it is. It's really hard to, to try something different. And the difference between just a, a little bit of friction and no friction, <laughs> it makes all, mm -hmm. all the difference in the success of an app. So to me, it's much more important to figure out that aspect of it than the, than the actual backend uh, technical piece, because all of that can be solved. Yeah, 100%. I agree. Um, the nice thing is, I mean, if you get the email, there's not a lot of opportunity for friction here, I don't think. You know, you get an email and you reply to it. Like, I feel like probably everyone can visualize the product here. <laughs> one, one thing I want to get to here, I'm actually really excited about I don't know why. I think it's because I just did a little bit of research on like Chrome extensions and things like that. Is is that what you were envisioning? Or is it literally just you're in your email, you write an email, you get back, there's no fancy extension involved. Um, it's just kind of almost like an email reminder service that has some sort of translating skills into specific types of notes or something. I have a problem, which is I always make ideas bigger than they should be. So like, yes, I think it'd be really awesome to have a Chrome extension. And then like, I think you could almost iterate this to one day having a CRM. Like, please don't, because then you'll compete with me and that makes me sad. But like, I think you could build this into a very robust tool. But if you were like, I'm going to a hackathon for a weekend, I think you could launch something that would be useful to people with just an email, no Chrome extension. The only interface would be basically be, you have to authenticate, you have to authenticate with their calendar somehow. Like, the tool is going to be syncing back and forth with their either Google or Outlook calendar. So it knows when they have events scheduled and then it can just send them an email, you know, five minutes before the event. I, I don't think you need more than that to start, but yes, there's like Chrome extensions and all kinds of other stuff would be nice ways to spice it up. I think one of the big challenges is how do you monetize it? And probably these extra features would be a good way to consider doing that. Yeah. So, you know, I did a little bit of research and the sort of note taking industry, whatever that, that means on the, on the sort of website that I found some research, it's, it's up to hundreds of millions of dollars projected uh, to be up to a billion dollars within the next 10 years or so. So yeah, that, that, that is kind of like the question you have. I can see how you have all these note taking apps like, um, you know, Evernote is a, is a great example. Mm -hmm. I remember watching, the founder of Evernote pitching his Evernote app back in like the late 2000s and a little personal video and how cool this little new thing is. And then it, this is, it's, oh, it became huge, you know, and you've got, you know, Todoist, um, you've got, uh, what's the one we're using a lot lately as we take like Notion is a big one. Notion, Notion is mm -hmm. becoming, I never heard about it. And now it's like, but yeah, it's so the so I think it seems that where the revenue is though in is in assisting people to organize the notes or do something cool to to help facilitate 
the, the, what you can do with the notes versus like reminding them to take the notes. Cause it seems like that's, that's where we're at with this one is that the simple, the simple value add here is, do you actually take the notes in the first place? Right. I, I don't think it needs a, the, all those bells and whistles, extra features. I think that the key thing here is making notes useful. So there's the, the act of taking it in itself, but then there's also the act of translating it into uh, what are the, the next steps? What are the things that need to happen as a result of this? We've all been in those situations where the meeting is running long and you got back-to-back bookings. And then you look at your schedule the next day and you don't remember what happened during that meeting or what needed to happen. And people, if there are multiple people on the meeting, uh, someone can remember an action item that needs to happen that wasn't exactly what was talked about. And, and you have all this wasted effort that comes about from not capturing exactly what needs to be done next. So that's the way that I would position it is if you do a good job, this, this app allows you to do a good job of making the most out of your meetings. You're already investing an hour let's say into a meeting and that's leveraged by five to 10, 15 people's time. Uh, so it's a lot of time that is being pulled into uh, this meeting and you need to make the most out of it. I like that idea a lot. And I agree. There's a lot of value there. I, I do think maybe that's phase two value though. Like I think just people who aren't taking notes, taking them is arguably enough value add to have something here. And then there's additional workflow and stuff beyond that. But just, I mean, just for perspective here, again, I work with kind of like old school businesses. A lot of industries have to take notes for compliance reasons. So for example, if you're in financial services, like you probably never look at the notes. There's probably no action items, but it's like, if I get audited or sued, I have to have notes or else I, I could be legally in trouble here. There's other industries like that. So I was thinking about the online sphere and why notes would not be as valuable in itself. And it's because there are tools like otter.ai that will automatically transcribe your Zoom meeting uh, to a decent degree of accuracy, as, as accurate as you'd probably need to remember what's going on. And that's 15 or 20 bucks a month for, uh, for that functionality. It's hard to compete with that on, on top of what Otter is already doing. I would argue that transcripts and Notes are different things, um, but you're Absolutely right for, for compliance reasons. That's true. Uh, one just like area of opportunity I can say is like things that we all take for granted, like do, they haven't made it to a lot of these industries. So maybe, maybe a different idea is just resell Otter to financial services companies because they don't know about it. <laughs> I keep going back to the, and maybe I'm overcomplicating it, but making a, making some sort of a, an email extension to that would help people organize mm -hmm. their notes, you know? I mean, you, you mentioned people who have to take notes, you know, for example, in my, my condo that I live in, our board, right? They, they have mm -hmm. to take notes and it, it's, it is for compliance reasons. Like if you don't take the notes, I don't know, it, it affects the state status of the organization or like various non-for-profits and part of a guild um, for piano technicians, which I know is an antiquated thing. But um, <laughs> again, they use these like Robert rules of order and, you know, you have to call the meeting to order and the president has to say this and da 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 da, -da but, and they have to take notes. So I see where you're going. I think that's a very interesting insight that I think is the crux of this idea that we called to, you know, towards the beginning of the episode of like, no, it's not just a note taking app for, you know, your grocery list. And this is for 
people who literally have to take notes and you're really facilitating not that they that they get done and and i would argue it seems like the value add coming in here is being able to know what they need to take even and helping facilitate that they take the right type of notes, you know? So, you know, mm -hmm. is it a minutes type of notes, you know, where you can help them? Gosh, I don't know. That would be interesting actually, if you could make a Chrome extension that as you typed um, in your email, it also kept track of a timestamp, you know, or an approximate time step. And so- oh, That'd be it, huge for time tracking, for billing, yeah. And, and email often does refresh, I believe, you know, on a, on at least a relatively often basis, you know, maybe every minute or two. So um, it'd be interesting to be able to try to integrate that type of thing into, into writing things out in an email. If we're dreaming about features here, one, one that I was thinking about is an Alexa like feature mm -hmm. or Google home like feature where you say, take an action. Tyler is going to call this customer by Friday and it automatically captures that separately as an action in whatever app that you're, that you're doing. That's you know way down the line, but <laughs> if you're uh, dreaming about where this can go, that's, that, that makes me salivate. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I, I want to dig into something you just said, which is like whatever app you're using. I think one of the key features of this, well, first of all, I think this probably has to be freemium. I think like the basic version of this you got to give away for free, but you need extra kind of features to to monetize it. And all these things we're talking about would be great paid features. But that other app you're using, almost every professional is not going to use this as their system of record. It's not like, okay, my note is in this, you know, little micro SaaS mission accomplished. That would be enough for some people for compliance and stuff, but they really want it in their CRM probably, or they want it in Notion or whatever their actual system of record is. And that feels to me like a premium feature to say, it's not just taking your notes, it's getting it where it needs to go. And then there's all kinds of automations. Yeah. Like set a task in that same CRM or link it to the right contact record. Cause your calendar already has the other contacts at the meeting on it. So it could pretty easily go in and link it to the right stuff. And there's all kinds of value adds to connect to the data to where it actually needs to be. Yeah, talking more about pricing, I, I completely agree with the freemium idea. I think that a, another approach that people could pay for is number of meetings. Let's say that you were capped at five meetings per month or 10 meetings per month. 10 seems a little high, but let's say five meetings per month, enough to get you to build a habit of using it and mm -hmm. to get you really see the appeal of using it, but not so much that power users are going to just be on the freemium plan for free. It makes me think of uh, Slack. I, I like to rag on Slack, on the podcast. <laughs> I have a ton of workspaces that I'm part of in Slack and I've never paid for Slack. And that's, you know, that's a mistake in their pricing model that that's the case. Chris loves to rag on Slack, but also loves to rag on me for not using Slack, which is just uh, always confuses me. But <laughs> You're completely off of Slack. You don't use Slack at all. I have that. Well, I have Slack and I, I don't use it. Don't like, use it. <laughs> I, I, the number of times that somebody's like, I, I, but I told you on Slack and I'm like, Slack, what are you? Oh, okay. Gosh, <laughs> that doesn't count. It doesn't Hit count on as AIM. a communication channel. <laughs> I do use it, but you can't count on me to know what happened on Slack. 
<laughs> Ethan is basically a caveman when it comes to technology, though. He does not. Have- I don't even. I don't even have a phone right now. I do not have a mobile <laughs> phone. I have not had one since April. Wow. I lost my phone, and I was like, yeah, I don't need a phone. <laughs> Ethan was talking about Notion. Is like, oh, there's this new app out there called Notion. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so Chris, I, I want to push back on the Slack thing though, because I, I agree with you. There's probably money to be made because you're getting value out of Slack and they're not monetizing it. But if you look at freemium, not as a pricing scheme, but as a marketing channel, maybe it's doing exactly what it wants. Like you, I bet these Slack channels you're in, you're talking about like, maybe you two have one for this podcast. Maybe you have one for some community or whatever. These are never going to be big money makers for Slack. They could, they could get small amounts of money out of you. But what's amazing is you are spreading it with your friends until someone who's the CFO of some big company comes along and buys a 10,000 seat Slack account. And that's how they make money, right? Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Let me add to this a little bit. One alternative that they could do for pricing is you can only be logged into five channels at once. I'm logged into like 12 channels, right? And that's just on a user basis. Get rid of the uh, you, you can have this completely separate from the organization. There are a ton of freelancers out there who are part of a bunch of channels. And it would just be, it would be annoying enough for me to have to log in and out of different channels for me to pay five bucks a month for that. I would happily pay that. They're mm. way stupider <laughs> app purchases <laughs> that I have made that are just, you know, hitting my credit card repeatedly. So I think that's a big misopportunity. And I think that they're missing their pricing because after they've been bought by Salesforce, I'm, you're getting bombarded with all these 50% off Slack upgrade, you know, limited time upgrade. Every single channel that I'm in is, is hitting me with this message of, you know, upgrade to premium for 50% off. So they're trying, Salesforce is trying to figure out how to monetize it right now. So this is an interesting strategy list the listener might be interested in, uh, brought up by Nathan Latka, who's kind of grown increasing popularity in the starting a business space over the past several years. He actually... He, he recommends or has promoted a way of starting a business, a software business that he thinks is relatively simple. You find a Chrome extension that has some good reviews, has a good number of good reviews, has a good number of, of users on it, but uh, has not been updated in a year and is a free app. And you buy it and, all, and you put up a paywall immediately. And all of a sudden, after two weeks of using the app or three weeks or whatever it is, once somebody gets in the habit, you go, it's just going to be like five bucks a month. So if you really want it to keep it, like you're going to have to pay a fee. And, and the thing is, apps like this are, are built by people who probably don't care about it at, anymore, right? Like they, they, they built it, they thought it was going to be something, then they got distracted, they did something else. And so what you get, you can sometimes get an app like this for maybe a few thousand bucks, really. And then you can monetize it. You can double down on it and reinvest in the money that you made monetizing it. You can start promoting it. And on top of that, you get a user base. You've purchased a user base. So if there's, you know, there can be up to um, a million people using some app that you could get for, a, you know, $10,000 or something like that. And now you can start marketing to those people. So if, if, you, if there's a note taking app or there's some sort of existing Chrome extension um, that is in alignment with starting this type of a business, you can actually purchase a user base up front and then just start slowly marketing to them about that this is a product that they might be interested in. I wanna ask Tyler, let's say to build this idea, you obviously have development chops. So you're advantaged in doing so, but what would it cost you in time and money to get this idea off the ground? I really don't think it would be much. 
you mentioned no code earlier and I don't know enough to say if it could be, it does, it seems possible if it could, could be done with no code, in which case just do that. Great. Um, but if, if we're eliminating that as a possibility, there are these services. So the one we use at Lessening Serum is called Mailgun and it'll a send email for you, which honestly is pretty simple, but more importantly, you can, it'll make email addresses where someone can send an email to that address and then they'll parse it, pull the files out, clean it up and then send that to your server, almost like a form was being submitted. So technically, this is it's pretty easy to handle incoming emails. This, 11 years ago, when Less Annoying Serum started, this was actually really hard, and, and now it's super easy. So I think you just need a server. It's a pr pretty low-capacity low server. Like There's not a lot of traffic going on here. It's just you get some emails coming in, and you log them. That's one side of it. You need a database. But I mean, just anyone who's ever built a web app, this is just like boilerplate on every web app. There's nothing special going on here. Uh, the only slight complexity I see is integrations are hard and you need to integrate with their calendar for this to work well because you have to you have to know when the events are happening so you can send them an email about it. I know. I think Fantastical uses Chronify to connect to your calendar. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know about that. If if there are easier ways to do it. We at Less Knowing Serum, we have like from scratch built Outlook and Google integrations and it's pain. But uh, yeah, it doesn't surprise me to hear there's easier ways to do it than that. Yeah. Well, I guess if you're trying to do it without spending any money, then Cornify wouldn't be the best option, but they do have unlimited API calls for 99 bucks a month. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds great. And the nice thing about this, even if you do it my way, the hard way, it's not like we sync full events back and forth, recurring event logic. We do edits and stuff like that. This is purely just pull down their calendar and send a reminder email when, when an event's about to happen. As far as integrations go, it's pretty straightforward, I think. So I wanted to bring back this concept of niching into an industry where they really need to take notes. Um, I, I did a little searching online, like, is there is there a note-taking app for the legal profession? And I found some articles, and they bas basically just listed existing note-taking apps, like Evernote or, you know, basically whatever's out there. So that's actually quite fascinating uh, because if somebody's going to write a blog article like that, it probably means there's at least some market for people saying, I'm a lawyer, I want some a note-taking app. But whenever you get people using something that's in existence, that isn't quite right, but that's what they use, there's an opportunity there to niche down and offer them what they actually need. I'm, I'm curious if we think this is a good option to actually pick the niche of say lawyers and then and then start marketing to them and really this starts out or maybe even stays a legal note taking app which really uh, caters to the needs of lawyers for example i think legal would be a good place to start my concern with niching down is i think throw out what i said about freemium like freemium kind of requires a mass audience and i think part of kind of like what we were talking about with slack part of the idea is a lot of people who maybe aren't your target customer would use this and spread the word about it so that you could find those lawyers and those financial service people. If you were going to niche down, I think just charge for it up front and, and do more of a direct SaaS play, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and like you said, maybe even more than lawyers, something like financial services. And honestly, I like the idea of corporate government governance, and that's just because I have personal experience in this, just even with my limited, you know, founding a company and things like there's a lot of small business owners out there who for this stuff, it's like, oh, 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 oh shoot, I was supposed to you know, write something up. And then 
And then all of a sudden, you know, you can get some notice from the government that says like your business doesn't exist anymore or something, or you owe some sort of fine because you didn't fill out this thing. And to be honest, it's it's easy to sell the value then if it, it you could even without them even knowing what their calendar is and saying it's this time of year again, you have to have your annual board meeting and, you know, here's a template to fill out the notes and, and that'll be $50 because if you don't do this, it's like a $500 fine or your business becomes defunct or something like that. Right. Um, that doesn't sound like a bad play. I really like that from a, you know, when you think about marketing, I, content marketing is my favorite kind, even though I've never really made it work very well. But what you're looking for is like teachable moments so that you can write content that educates people. And what you just said, like so many people don't even know that, which creates this great marketing channel of like, I'm going to write content to educate people on what are the compliance things in your industry. Oh, by the way, instead of stressing out about it, about it pay me five bucks a month and your, your problems will go away. It's a critical decision point here to uh, whether you're focused on the compliance angle or the productivity angle. Mm -hmm. I think back to a conversation with Alien Learner and she recommended, she said that if she were choosing again, she would not choose a, uh, a market that is a cost center. And I think the compliance model is more of a cost center. It's something that you just have to do and you're going to, you know, you're going to pay for it. And if you look at it from a productivity angle, that could be, argued to be a the profit center, right? Your team overall, if you can have a case study that said your team is going to be 15% more product, uh, productive, something like that would, um, would be, it would be cheap to pay five bucks a month uh, per team member for, for that. Let me throw, uh, it's sort of a third category, but sort of a subset of productivity, which is being in the CRM space, something I'm, I deal with a lot there are a few products that are systems of record for businesses. So CRM's one, that's normally like sales customer service. That's their system of record. ERP is going to be that for the supply side. And then maybe project management like Jira or something like that for probably tech, but also maybe marketing and stuff like that. These tools, having correct data in there is hugely valuable to the executives at businesses. Um, the, the director of sales needs notes in the CRM and more than just notes needs What's the, the expected close probability? What's the deal size? Things like that. Um, if you've, you could view this sort of as a productivity tool, but also as like a data um, like accuracy tool, which is, I, I like your point about cost center versus profit center. Having more accurate data is a profit center, I think. So that's another angle to take here potentially. So that if you had, if it was $5 a month, you know, that's around 60 bucks a year per per client. There's plenty of people who are starting businesses, starting corporations, having to deal with corporate governance. So there's quite an audience there. Are we looking at, are we looking at maybe getting a, a 10,000 people, a hundred thousand people on a platform like this? I, I would throw, I would expand the audience beyond the corporate folks. I'd, I'd say freelancers would be likely, likely to use this. Um, I would happily use something like that. <laughs> something that made my meeting notes better. I mean, yeah, you could say that that could increase client retention, uh, make it easier to create monthly reports, things like that, that, uh, you know, some people would be happy to pay five, 15, 25 bucks a month for something like that. I think you can, you could uh, like daydream this as a multi-million dollar a year business, but I actually think one of the beautiful things about it is a lot of new entrepreneurs who haven't done it yet 
are better off starting with something a little bit smaller because there's kind of less competition. It's easier to sell something like that. Like the more you, if, if you want to charge $50 a month, great, but you have to have something really, really good. The numbers you're throwing out sound a lot, by the way, like less wing CRM. We have uh, 24,000 users paying us about $10 a month, which comes out to 3 million a year. Uh, it took 11 years to get here. I'm sure many companies do it faster than we did, but like it can be done and it's a really, really long slog. I think the beauty of this is you could launch something in a week and get a little bit of revenue. And then from there, you could either say, okay, I'm going to start offering all this more sophisticated stuff. Or you could say, great, I've got my first SaaS under my belt. It's maybe paying enough to quit my day job. Uh, if you're familiar with Rob Walling's stair-step approach, this seems like maybe like a very, very unambitious first phase of building software to me. I think you're spot on. Going back to Nathan Latka, who I brought up earlier, um, I, uh, I think it was an excerpt from his book that I found posted somewhere online, but he was making a list of where all his revenue comes from. And that very app that he started according to his own theory was a, it was a sending later app Chrome extension, right? So you, you go into your Gmail and it's just a thing where you can schedule that it'll send later. Some, some company was, they had that, but they weren't monetizing, bought it. And basically he grew that to make $6,000 a month, you know, from no revenue at all, basically. But he shows how does he make his money? And yeah, he's got the 6,000 incoming from that app and he's got some other project where he has 6,000. And yes, he does have now like 50,000 a month in revenue coming in from podcast advertising and something else. And he's got a real estate investment, but you know, yes, that could get overwhelming if you don't know how to manage it all, but it is, there's also the cry to diversify, you know? And so if you do have multiple things under your belt, you use it as a practice uh, for later. I think that's an interesting strategy. You have option. You have a lot of optionality here. You could expand Mm -hmm. it. You could have it be a small thing. You could sell it. I think that's a good place to wrap here. We could talk about this all day to the listener. Let us know what you think about this episode. What do we get right? What do we get completely wrong? What are some different action steps that you would take? If you attempt this, tell us, email us at update at runwithit.fm. You might have a chance to get in front of Tyler and, uh, and uh, maybe even partner on this idea. You get someone who's been super successful with less annoying CRM. Tyler, where can listeners go to learn more about you? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Tyler M. King. The podcast you mentioned earlier, Startup to Last, and we are podcast network fellows. We're both in the, the Indie Hackers Network. Uh, and then, yeah, lessannoyingcrm.com is kind of my main, my main gig. So that's what I've been working on for the last 11 years. And it's been great spending time with you, Tyler. Great to meet you. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.